Good morning and welcome to our pre-recorded service here at Church of the Palms on Sunday, April 18th. We invite you to find a comfortable place at home to worship with us, away from distractions and possibly you can light a candle to invite Christ's presence. We invite you also to print the bulletin off our website so you can follow along with us the liturgy and the hymns. Let us prepare to worship God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Praise his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let us worship God.
How often have we remained silent when we could speak, spoke when we could have listened, closed the door when we could have flung it wide open, judged when we could have sought understanding, withheld when we could have given. Let us offer to God what of this lies heavily on our hearts as we confess our sins. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask for your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved kindness, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create us in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence, nor take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore us to the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. Christ forgives us. And anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. So friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. share together now that creed around which we have built our faith, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Together, even though we're separate in our homes, let us share our love and our joy with one another by passing the peace. Welcome to worship on this third Sunday of Easter. It was such a treat to have Dr. Porter with us last week. We are so grateful for him being here and for sharing his gifts with us. As we look ahead to our live worship, we have some good news. You will no longer have to register to worship in person, and it begins now. For the next Sunday, you can just come on in. We have lots of room for everyone. 
We are emerging slowly from this COVID cloud, and we are so grateful for your patience as we make our way forward in a safe way. We are very excited that our new Youth and Family Ministry Director is coming to visit. Connor Peters is going to start full-time with us on June 7th, but he will be here in Sarasota next weekend. The family team has planned a gathering for parents of students on Friday, April 23rd, a beach day for students on Saturday, April 24th, and you all can meet him in worship on the 25th. Details for all of these events can be found on our family page of the website. Connor, his new bride, Megan, and their dog, Kay, are looking for a place to stay in June, July, and August as they begin to look for a home to buy. So if you happen to know of a place or if you have a home that needs watching or renting, if you could reach out to Sarah Soboleski, that would be awesome. While Connor is here, we are going to dedicate, dedicate the outdoor worship space. So we would love for you to join Pastor Steve and the rest of us out behind the Palm Center for a brief but meaningful service on Sunday evening, April 25th at 6.15. As we try to care for our mind, body, and spirit, I would like to lift up just a couple of opportunities for you to consider. First, Trivia Night is Wednesday, April 28th at 6 p.m. in the Palm Center. It's a free event, and it's a wonderful way to invite friends or neighbors to come out and join some uh, good, healthy competition, a little bit of brain activity, and always lots of laughter. We'd ask that you would RSVP to Susan Neisler by April 27th. We invite you to order and start reading the book, How to Fight Racism by Jamar Tisby. We will be discussing this on Monday, May 10th at 6 p.m. via Zoom, and that link is on our website. The next Tizay service will be released on Saturday, April 24th. You will find the link to our YouTube and Facebook page on our website under events, or you can go directly to those platforms. I have found this service to be a lovely time of meditation and prayer, and the best part is that you can go back and keep watching it over and over again. Finally, Tai Chi is here, and quite a few people have begun reducing stress and anxiety as they worked on increasing their flexibility and their balance. You too can join in on Wednesdays from 2.30 to 3.30 in the Palm Center, and it only costs $5. And now it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you my friend and former session liaison as I was becoming ordained, Marlene Petro, who has agreed to be the chairperson for our wonderful ministry, Day of Hope, once again. Thank you, Lori. As Steve noted in his sermon a couple of weeks ago, Day of Hope was born when Pam Hahn observed that there were way too many kids in beautiful Sarasota <clears throat> who were going to school with no supplies, holes in their shoes, and no food in their tummies. And this was unacceptable. Ten years ago, this church heard her voice and committed to hosting Day of Hope to help needy children in our neighborhood prepare for the start of school. As Lori said, I'm Marlene Petro, and I'm privileged to be overseeing the project again this year, along with Marsha Barson, who's chairing volunteers, and a very dedicated leadership team. The Day of Hope mission has been a godsend in helping some of the neediest families in this neighborhood prepare for their children for school. We give backpacks filled with school supplies, gift cards that provide for new clothes and new shoes, personal hygiene items, and food that is in short supply in so many households. And during normal times, 
We also have doctors and dentist exams, vision and hearing tests, haircuts, nails, storytelling, photos, and other fun events. But alas, these are not normal times, so we'll be doing a drive-through event again this year in order to keep everyone safe while still providing the kids with the necessities. I'm here to ask for your support for the 250 children we have committed to prepare for school. It costs $100 per child to purchase everything. The backpacks, school supplies, clothing, gift cards, personal care products. An incredible value because we buy in bulk with the other Day of Hope churches. And all the food is donated by All Face and Detweilers. But we need to raise at least $25,000 as this project is not included in the church budget. Day of Hope is a self-sustaining church mission. And Day of Hope isn't really just that one day in July here on our campus. Because of the generosity of this congregation, we've been able to help our two schools during the year, restocking school supplies, buying some clothing, or just providing other needs. This year, we provided funding for bags for 200 children at Wilkinson and Philippi Creek. The guidance counselors filled these bags with a new sweatshirt, a new pair of shoes, socks, a water bottle, a book, and a gift card to Detweilers. I received this note from the mother of one of the little girls who received a bag. She writes, I'm not sure how you did it, but every single item included was actually something she was in need of. She was so thrilled and has been absolutely loving every single thing. I could tell it really made her feel special to receive it as well. The grocery gift card was also especially appreciated by her parents. My husband and I both lost our jobs in the middle of quarantine and things were a bit scary there for us. Fortunately, we are both happily employed now, but I can't say enough how much of a comfort it was to have community support during that time and as we've worked to adjust to our new normal. This gift feels like such a blessing, and I will absolutely be finding a way to pay it forward to others. Many who have never needed help before do now. Many right here in our neighborhood are food insecure and may be wondering how to pay their electric or rent bill. Nearly 50% of the school-aged children in Sarasota County are on free and reduced lunch programs. The need is great. Check out this morning's bulletin for all the ways that you can help. I thank you in advance because I know this is a community that loves God and loves neighbor. Thank you, Marlene, and, and thank you for all your time and your amazing leadership for this important ministry. From the very beginning of creation, God has given us the earth, the land, the sea, and all creatures to care for. Earth Day gives us a nice opportunity to reflect on and celebrate nature, including our beautiful campus. In the spirit of caring for and enjoying God's creation, Matt Liddell put together a video on our iconic fellowship tree. We hope you enjoy. I actually went to kindergarten here at Church of the Palms and I looked back in a photo album and that was in 1962. And so I was looking at the sign for the tree and it says it was 
probably sprouted around 1810. So when I got to Church of the Palms, it was already 150 years old. The tree, it was actually in the back of the church and it was not the honored tree that it is today. It was just in the backyard as a tree. And we had a tire swing that hung from the tree. And you can imagine not much grass in Florida grows under an oak tree. So it was sandy and dirty and we would just get filthy playing there when we, when we went to school. I was brought to meet this tree for the first time last year. So that was my first initial evaluation of her. Um, yes, I say her because of her curves. This is a Corcus virginiana, which is a live oak, well known in Florida. They're magnificent trees. Their canopy span can go out at least 180 feet wide in span. Heights exceed over 50 feet. They're more of a decurrent growth tree, so more of a canopy tree, if you will, as their species profile. We estimate the tree to be at least 1810 from when it was planted. So without completely dissecting the tree, which obviously nobody wants to do, um, you know, we could look at resistograph or tomography to internally detect uh, the internal of the tree. As humans, we don't like a lot of stress, um, and neither does trees. Um, pruning can be a stress, so we wanna make sure that we're not pruning too much during one pruning cycle. As a tree gets older, we want to refrain from doing that on an annual basis. And maybe that basis, depending on uh, where that tree is at in its current health, may be every five plus years. The draw would be God's beauty, right? I mean, he's created these magnificent trees for us to enjoy and we can't buy back the time how long it took to get this tree to where it is now. It's not just a tree and it's not just a growing living thing. Uh, this is, it's part of our memorial garden. The fact that we consciously built all of our church buildings around it, so it is the focal point. And I guess that's sort of a chicken and the egg thing. Did, the, did honoring the tree come first or did we build our buildings and realize, hey, this is a great looking tree. I, I don't know which one came first. It is such a grand looking tree.
Good morning. I have the great pleasure uh, this morning of letting you know that our family is growing again. We are delighted today to receive several new members. First, Al McCaddy. Al grew up in the military and served in the Air Force and worked at Western Union. And he has found here at Church of the Palms that his spiritual needs are met. And we're so glad that that's the case, Al. Welcome. And we are welcoming new member Joanne Stout. Joanne's twin sister, Georgine Zachman, is a longtime member, and she brought Joanne and her husband to visit us here at the church. Joanne, Joanne shared with Pastor Me that her late husband, John, really appreciated the music uh, here, the worship and music, and found it very nourishing, as does she. She feels very at home here. So welcome, Joanne. If you're interested in membership at Church of the Palms, just learning more about it, please reach out to Pastor Mingy. She'd be happy to tell you what is involved in both becoming a member and what becoming a member uh, uh, means for us in our life here, shared life here together. Let us pray. Gracious God, out of the formless void and darkness, you breathed light into the world, and there is nothing good or beautiful for which we do not owe you thanks and praise. For the rising and setting sun, for the wind, the rain, the rich soil, and the bounty of nature, we give you thanks. For the wonder and diversity of creation, for the rich tapestry that makes up life on earth, we give you praise. We stand in awe of your signs. Everywhere we look, there is evidence of your love for us, of your astonishing generosity. As we anticipate celebrating Earth Day, we know that we have failed in being good and faithful stewards of your creation. We have consumed recklessly. We have been unbothered as species after species disappears from your planet. We have thrown away food and eaten past full as our brothers and sisters go without any food at all. We have been consumed with pursuing our worldly goals as the skies darken, as water levels rise, and as the air grows thick with pollution. We have been guilty of minimizing the groaning of creation and of making its care someone else's problem. Forgive us, Father. Give us braver hearts and firmer resolve that we would never forget that each of us are stewards of your beautiful creation light a fire in us to advocate and defend all life on the planet. We pray for those in power in our community, in our country, and in the world, that they would represent our planet and future generations over profit and ease. Transform us, God, to be more fully your children. Give us hope that saves, that we might become ambassadors of your love and care, that we would become advocates for creation, that the oceans would be clean and the skies clear, and that every living creature would flourish under our care. We pray also today for the leadership of our congregation, the pastors, staff, and lay leaders. Especially we pray for the elders and deacons who are installed this Sunday morning, that they would be guided by your almighty hand and sustained in their leadership by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, and who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, all that we possess is part of God's gift to the world. God's gift in Jesus Christ reminds us that what is entrusted to us is meant to be shared. May we 
May the joy we discover in God's word be passed on through our generous giving. There's a number of ways to support our shared ministry here at Church of the Palms, which you can see on your screen. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving God, we give you thanks for you are the giver of every good and perfect gift. With our gifts to you, we express our gratitude and our commitment. Bless the gifts we give. Bless us in the giving. Especially bless those for whom these gifts are used. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, we have a special treat from Miss Carol for Children's Moment. Welcome to the Children's Moment. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we do chapel every Wednesday morning in this space. And this morning, we are talking about gentleness, one of the fruits of the Spirit, and it's a good one. So enjoy. We're talking about gentleness today because it's a good fruit, a fruit of the Spirit. When I started thinking about gentleness, I got to thinking about things we're supposed to be gentle with. And what's that? Glass. Glass. Toys. Toys. Maybe some of you have a baby brother or a baby sister or maybe you guys have held a newborn baby before. Babies are not glass, but we have to be gentle with babies, don't we? 
A baby has to be cared for with gentleness, right? Gentleness. You know, Jesus was gentle, wasn't he? He was always gentle. And he wants us to be gentle. But you know what? Sometimes it's hard to remember to be gentle with each other and to be kind and loving all the time. If someone raises their voice at you, is that gentle? Jesus showed the people that he truly, truly loved them, right? By dying for them, people decided to give their hearts to Jesus. And that's how people come to Jesus with gentleness. So you think you guys can be gentle this week? Well, we have been taking this journey through the fruit of the Spirit uh, since the beginning of the fall in September, looking at a different fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 over the course of uh, that time, one per month. And so the fruit of the Spirit for the month of April is the fruit of gentleness. And today we're going to look at a story in the Gospel of Mark in which Jesus displays his gentle touch of healing followed by a story in the Acts of the Apostles in which a Jesus follower displays the same gentle touch of healing to a person who ends up bringing the healing message of the gospel to the world and in a very certain sense changes the course of history. So let's begin our readings with Mark chapter 8 verses 22 through 26. Hear the word of God. Jesus and the disciples came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village, and when he had put saliva on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Can you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. 
Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and looked intently, and his sight was restored. And he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him away to his home, saying, Do not even go to the village. And then our second story comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I... I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke his name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house and laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. And then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength, and for several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ, where we pray this in his name. Amen. If you live long enough, it gets harder to see things up close. Most of you know what I'm talking about. If you live long enough, you start holding the paper further and further away. If you live long enough, your arms just can't stretch anymore to where you need them to be to see what you want to see. There's a name for this, and it's a little close to home. It's called presbyopia. Think of that, Presbyterians have an eye condition named after them. Presbyopia, from the Greek word which means old man's eye or elder's eye. Presby, from the Greek presbyteros, meaning elder or old person. Presbyterians are led by elders, that's how we got our name, that we are governed by elders, Presbyterian, elder-led church. And the more presby you get, it turns out the harder it is to see things up close. Is it possible that the case can be made that pres presbyopia is not just a physical optical condition, but also a spiritual optical condition? Is it possible that as the world goes on and on, that it gets harder for us to see things up close. And, and what I mean by this is that the way technology and information systems have developed over the past decades, we have grown more and more able to see things further and further away. Turn on the TV, open to your favorite social media app, and someplace halfway around the world is immediately brought right into your smartphone or computer or the TV in your living room. Sitting there in your PJs like you've been doing on Sunday mornings and worship during COVID, you click a link and you are linked to a million million miles away in a moment for example I could ask you I won't but I, I could ask you to open up your phone and tell me what's going on in Myanmar the home of our dear sister Mingi and within seconds you would google and up would come something from Myanmar some little six paragraph article about the constitutional crisis in Myanmar from a million miles away and we would learn about this coup from a million miles away and with that distant view we might even begin to form an opinion about the crisis in Myanmar a million miles away but but that would be different wouldn't it than seeing Myanmar up 
close. If you wanted to see Myanmar up close, you, you might call Mingi or call members of her family who live in Myanmar and talk to them about what they're experiencing right there on the ground and how they fear for their country and fear for their friends and fear for themselves. And that would give you a whole different view of what, than what, we, what you read in the paper or see on the TV. And if you really, really wanted to get up close, you could find a way to get there and see it for yourself and be with the people and get up close and such that you might see for yourself what's really going on. But that's not practical, so what we depend on, what informs our views about most things, is this view we have from far away. Seldom do we give ourselves the chance to see things up close. Most of our time is spent attempting to, to see things from far away, and I suppose we might all agree that the view from far, far away, while a wonder of technology, is not nearly as good as the view from close at hand. Same could be said, I suppose, when you and I look at what we might call the issues of the day, you know, turn on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, open up the Herald Tribune, and you will be introduced to a plethora of issues, homelessness, climate change, vaccinations, voting rights, hunger, racism, criminal justice, equal rights, you name it. And in a minute or two, we get the view from far away, and we will see through the lens of whoever's bringing us the news, the way this issue or that issue looks from far away, and, it, and it's more than just the issue that we're looking at. We, we also actually sometimes see people, because behind every issue is people, and if there weren't people, there wouldn't be an issue, right? Because behind every issue there is people. Before the world was populated, the earth really didn't have any issues. The earth just was. The ocean just was. The mountains had nothing to say. But, but with people come issues, and issues bring people. And so when we read and watch issues from far away, we see people from far away. And sometimes we even think we see them clearly, but of course we can't. You can only see so much from far away. Which leads me to the story we read from Mark's gospel about Jesus and the blind man. This is a one and only story in the Gospels, not repeated in Matthew, Luke, or John. And it's an unusual story that describes an unusual healing. Jesus comes into the town of Bethsaida, and the town folk bring to him a blind man, and they ask Jesus to touch him. They, they beg him to touch him. This is the first thing of note. The blind man has a group of supporters. He's, he's not on his own. He has people advocating for him. We, we all need people to advocate for us, right? This man who cannot see has people who see him. Healing starts when people see you. So something unusual happens. Instead of Jesus healing the man within the sight of all, Jesus takes the man outside the town limits so that it's just the two of them away from the crowd away from, he makes us healing just about him and this man. Because healing sometimes needs to be between you and Jesus. Jesus pulls him into this intimate moment where he spits a bit of saliva onto his fingers. Back then, saliva was seen to be a healing agent, and he spits this saliva on his fingers, and he places them on the man's eyes. And in the moment... The man can see, he can see, but he can only see so much. Can you see anything, Jesus asks. And the man says, I, I can see people, but they look like trees walking. He can see, but he can't see. He sees people but he really can't see people. He sees people, but they look like trees. Now for a blind man, maybe that's enough. Sure beats nothing. Better to see people as trees than to see nothing at all. But for Jesus, it isn't enough. For, for Jesus, there's more to people than what this man sees. 
It's one thing to see people as trees. It's another thing to see people as people. So a further touch and a closer look and the man's sight is completely restored. I see people. I see people. Which makes me wonder if this isn't a healing story for the rest of us. We who can see people from far, far away, but have trouble sometimes seeing people up close. We, we can see people from far away, and because they're so far away, it's easier to see them less as people and more as something else, you know, blurs on the screen, stereotypes, categories, you know what I mean. I see people, but they look like Democrats. I see people, but they look like Republicans. I see people, but they look like socialists. I see people, but they look black or brown or Asian or white. I, I see people, but they look like Muslims. I see people, but they look gay or lesbian or trans. I, I see people, but they look like Ohio State fans. We're all wrestling with our own spiritual presbyopia. It, it's hard to see things up close. And, and here's the thing. We might be very happy to keep it as it is. Better the fuzzier view. No need to get up close to see the person behind the caricature. Easier to make the him or the her into a them. No need for Jesus to touch these eyes a second time. But Jesus, in his gentleness pulls us, if we allow him to, pulls us away from our little in-crowd and from the news and from the Facebook scrolling and from the talking heads, pulls us away and takes us to a place where it's just him and you and me. And he helps us to see as he sees. It's what life with Jesus is about. He, he heals us, and in his healing us, he helps us to see as he sees. Jesus wants us to see clearly. Jesus wants us to see people. After my second year of seminary, a promised summer job fell through, and at the last minute I was left scrambling for badly needed summer employment. Long story short, I ended up reporting for work at a ministry in the red light district of Washington, D.C. called Emmaus Services for the Aging. It was led by a wonderful and engaging woman named Deanne Amison. I had no idea really what they did or how they did it, but it was a job, and I showed up for work ready to do what I was trained in seminary to do, programs, classes, teaching, preaching, you name it. It's a lot of what you learn in seminary. So I asked Deanne what she wanted me to start with. She said, go find Ernest and take a walk. I said, okay. I got Ernest's address and went to Ernest's house and said, Deanne wants me to take a walk with you. He said, well, come on. So we walked through this very, very, very sketchy neighborhood, a neighborhood like the ones I would see on TV when they were talking about urban decay. And we walked through this probably 10 square block neighborhood and every 10 minutes or so, Ernest would stop and start talking to someone, someone sitting on the stoop, someone begging for money, a prostitute looking for a trick. Ernest would just stop and talk to them we did this the entire day. And when we got back to the office, Ernest jotted down some notes and reported back to Deanne. So the next day I came in and asked Deanne, what, I was, what was I supposed to do? And she said, go take a walk. I said, what do you mean? She said, you know, do what you did with Ernest yesterday and just now do it on your own. And, and while you're walking, here's a couple people for you to stop and see. And I, I said, well, what do you want me to do with these people? Oh, she said, Nothing, just listen, listen to their story, listen to what's happening, and you'll figure it out from there. But what about the programs, the classes, the preaching? No, no, this is all about walking. So the summer was walking and listening, and it took me a while 
the long while, or should I say it took Jesus a while, but finally I started seeing people. When the voice of God came to the Damascus follower of Jesus, Ananias, to go visit the man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus, Ananias had already seen Saul from far away. He knew who this Saul guy was. He read it in the paper, saw it on CNN, and he was no good. He was against the church. He was one of those nutcase Pharisees. He was rounding up followers of the way. He was throwing Christians in jail. So, no thanks, Jesus. I'll watch from a distance. But the voice persists. It's your turn, he says. It's your turn to heal the blind man. So Ananias goes against his better judgment and face to face, hand to head, the man with the blind heart prays for the man with the blind eyes. And both are cured of their blindness. From this pulpit, you've heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer cast about in heroic terms, as well it should be, one of the great martyrs of the faith who put his faith to work and his life at risk in opposing the Third Reich. But there came for Bonhoeffer a moment of which he was later greatly ashamed. His brother-in-law, Gerhard, with whom he was very close, approached Dietrich with the request for Dietrich to perform the funeral for Gerhard's father. It was, however, understood that Gerhard's father was Jewish by blood. He was a professing Christian, raised his children to be Christian, but he was Jewish by blood. Would Bonhoeffer bury this cherished member of his sister's family? Bonhoeffer declined. He couldn't bring himself to bury a Jew. I see people but they look Jewish. Later, as Bonhoeffer's eyes were healed, the regret of the decision led him back to Gerhard with pleas for forgiveness. It was a slight for which Bonhoeffer never forgave himself. At a retreat I spoke at a few years ago, I sat at lunch with a Presbyterian elder and I did as most pastors do with such things. I asked him to tell a little bit of his story and how he ended up as an elder. And for the next 20 minutes, he told me the story of how he had been raised in the church, a, a pretty conservative, Bible-believing church. And as a result, he had, been, he had been raised fairly conservative. And as a result, had become pretty zealous about his faith. And as a result, had become pretty zealous over his conservative views on issues out there. But one night came the phone call from his 25-year-old son to tell him that he was gay. And now the faraway issue had become for him a person. And the person was his son. And the worlds collided. And he didn't know what to do with his gay son. He didn't know what to do except what fathers are supposed to do. Love him, listen to him, support him, join a church where his son would be welcomed, lead a church where his son would be welcomed. You know, he said to me in so many words, I saw people, but all I could see was letters, LGBTQ. And Jesus, gentle Jesus, took him aside and with a little saliva and a press of the fingers, he could see a person. You know, it's interesting when you read the Bible, you read precious little about issues. You read nothing about politics. You read nothing about the latest vote in the Senate in Rome. Pretty much the only thing you read about is people, all sorts of people, usually one at a time, one person after the next person after the next person. Jesus has little to say about the issues and a lot to say about people, one person at a time. Gently, he pulls them 
and pulls us aside and says, can you see anything? And he's never quite happy until we can see not trees, but people. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.